The replacement refs are bringing America together. I thought that was so great. I'm not even following professional football that much, but I thought that's great. But then I thought, oh no, our passage this morning is about replacement. If you would stand with me and let's read out of Acts together. During this time, Peter stood up in the company. There were about 120 then in the room at the time, and he said, Friends, long ago, the Holy Spirit spoke through David regarding Judas, who became the guide to those who arrested Jesus. That scripture had to be fulfilled and now has been. Judas was one of us and had his assigned place in this ministry. As you know, he took the evil bribe money and and he bought a small farm. There he came to a bad end, rupturing his belly and spilling his guts. Everybody in Jerusalem knows this by now. They call the place Murder Meadow. It's exactly what we find written in the Psalms. Let his farm become haunted so no one can ever live there. And also what was written later, let someone else take over his his post. Judas must now be replaced. The replacement must come from the company of men who stayed together with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John up to the day of his ascension, designated along with us as a witness to his resurrection. So they nominated two, Joseph, Barsabbas, named Justus, and Matthias. And then they prayed. You, O God, know every one of us inside and out. Make plain which of these two men you choose to take the place in this ministry and leadership that Judas threw away in order to go his own way. Then they drew straws, cast lots. Matthias won and was counted in with the 11 apostles. Please have a seat. So the replacement refs, that, that, that didn't seem to really work out so well. And I think, I mean, all the dust settled. I mean, are the regular refs back now and everything is happy and, and we'll go this afternoon and root for our teams and not yell at the referees, right? Is that good? The Packers still got robbed. See, we're still bitter about these things. Yes, yeah. Well, during this time, not Sunday afternoon football, Peter stood up. Well, what, what is this time? You know, where are we in the story of what's happening with those that are following Jesus? Well, one, it's a time of waiting in Jerusalem. So the 11 apostles, less Judas, and, and others, including the family of Jesus, so about 120 people, they're, they're still in the upper room. The upper room is where they would have had the Last Supper together, and they're still meeting there in the old city in Jerusalem, and they're waiting because Jesus said, hey, you've got to go and you've got to wait before you move out and give a witness about who I am, what I've been doing, and what the kingdom is about. Then, then you need to wait because you need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit needs to fill you from power, from heaven above, with power, so that when you testify about me, it's really going to be life-changing for people. People are going to hear. It's going to just kind of penetrate people's minds and their hearts, and many people are going to start following us. So that's, that's what this time is about. It's a time of waiting. 
but also it's a time of agreement. And it would have been, you know, a, a time to, I don't know, I just, I think it's really fun to think about, gosh, if we could have been there. Because in that agreement, they, they agreed, we're in this for good. And, um, and that's coming at a time, at a difficult time. Jesus uh, died, but then Jesus was raised. They visited with Jesus. Now Jesus has left. He's ascended. Uh, now they've got this ominous task. You're going you're gonna to deliver my message, both in deeds and words, here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the... I mean, so they're getting to think about that and waiting about that, and they're just saying, but you know, we're in it for good. We're not checking out. And, and again, some of the context would be like Judas, because Judas did check out early from what Jesus was calling them to do. So we're in this for good. And, and again, it's not that they're in... Hey, they're not into building churches, or they're into proclaiming the kingdom of God and let the chips fall where they may. I mean, they're really into, there is a God in heaven who really wants us to do something different on the planet. Uh, I had a, a crazy night last night, and I just, I don't know, I just woke up really early, and I thought about when, when uh, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush. And you know, Moses saw that, hey, there's a bush, it's burning, and it's not being consumed. And then God says, hey, Moses, now that bush is talking. But you know, he recognized this is God speaking. And God says to him, hey, I've heard the cries of my people. And now I've come to earth to do something about it. You know, and that, from that Exodus story, from that Old Testament story, I mean, that's who God is. I, I hear your cries. And I'm coming to do something about it. And the climax of a God who hears the cries of people on the earth and comes to do something about it, comes to set things right, the climax of that is Jesus. And so now we're, we're bearing that message. There is a God in heaven. When things go horribly wrong, God hears the cries of people and God comes to set things right. That's what we're in. We're in that for good. Because we know the very end of that will be this wonderful restoration of all that God ever intended. The best is coming. We want to represent that. We're in that for good. And then it was a time of united prayer. They were completely together in prayer. So they're waiting, anticipating. I mean, I mean they saw Jesus... Act in, I mean, they saw the power of God through Jesus when he's healing the sick or he's multiplying food or he's calming the storm. I mean, they saw that, but, but the reality, okay, now the Holy Spirit is going to indwell us and empower us. I mean, that's, we, we're still saying stuff like that. Well, I can't do that stuff because I'm not Jesus. Well, no, none of us is Jesus. But Jesus said we would, like him, be ordinary people filled with power from the Holy Spirit to do what He calls us to do. But, I mean, they're still, they're struggling. Well, I don't know, I don't know how, that, how does that work? So they're praying, and they're waiting. There's still fear. There's still opposition to what Jesus started. Completely united in prayer. And somehow in that time of waiting, time of agreement, time of united prayer, there's this reflection and it's and I, I just use the word. You know what, what just happened? I mean, we've just spent 
three years. With the Messiah. We've just spent three years with God in human flesh. We've just spent three years watching him heal the sick, watching him cast out demons, watching him multiply food, watching him calm stores. He, he's been trained. He sent, I mean, we, he sent us, he, he authorized us to go heal the sick and cast out demons. We saw that. We've done that. We, we saw his death. Then, then we saw his resurrection. And now we just, we just come, we just saw him go back into heaven. You know, what? What's just happened? They had a lot to think about. And in that, Peter, he stood up. And he spoke out about Judas. So Judas, remember, he, he is one of the 12 that Jesus chose. You know, when, when there's leaders being chosen, it's always preceded by a lot of prayer. So Jesus spent a lot of prayer, a lot of time alone with his father. He, he was praying about people who, who are going to be these 12 that I designate to be, to, to be with me and to learn from me, to be the bearers of the message that I have. Well, Judas was one of those. And he, it, you know, as we read the story, he became the treasurer. And so there's a couple of these little hints that, he didn't like the way money was spent at times, especially if money was wasted. Hey, we, we could have sold that expensive jar of perfume and had lots of money to feed the poor. And Jesus said, well, you know, what she did is really important, and you might have lost sight of that by counting the money. And then there is a point that just Judas was really tempted and I don't know, I mean, was it just the money? I don't know if it's just the money, but he did accept a bribe from the religious leaders to betray Jesus. And he chose to betray Jesus with a kiss. And the story of Judas is after he did it, he really died regretting it. He committed suicide. He was overcome with grief. He left a spot in the 12 that needed to be filled. You know, what do you do? You know, what do you do with fallen leaders? And it's interesting to me that the guy in this time of reflection that would stand up and say, you know, we need to do something about the spot that Judas has left is a guy himself who was fallen. But Jesus restored him. The statue that you see there is, is at the Sea of Galilee. It's like one of my favorite places to go. Because Peter denied Jesus. You know, in, in Jesus' trial, do you, do, do you know this man? No, I don't know this man. I mean, he even used profanity. I'll imagine that. I mean, he adamantly denied knowing Jesus. I don't know him. So when Jesus needed him to stand by his side, he denied him. And, and you, you remember that, you know, as the rooster crows, they lock eyes. And then Peter leaves, I mean, weeping, because he knew what he'd done. He denied the Savior, the Lord, the Messiah. And yet, 
after the resurrection, you have this reunion of the disciples with Jesus on the Sea of Galilee. Is that the Lord? And Peter swims out to the boat. You know, the, he's the first guy. And Jesus sticks breakfast for him. Then Jesus says, hey, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, do you really love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And through that, he was restored. That's what this statue is all about, Peter being restored. So you either restore leaders or you replace them. So in this story, we're replacing Judas, but it comes at the suggestion of the one himself that has been fallen and restored. So what did it look like as they are replacing a leader? You know, what did vetting, vetting is this new word in, the, in, our, in our election years of, of uh, how did they vet somebody in the first century? Well, one, there had to be qualifications. Did you, did you catch the qualifications? Yeah, the replacement must come from the company of men who stayed together with us from the time Jesus was baptized by John, so that's the beginning of his ministry, up until the day of his ascension. So for the three years that Jesus did ministry on the earth, at the end, dying, resurrecting, and then ascending, it needs to be someone that has been with us throughout that time, and it has to be someone who was a witness to the resurrection. So it had to have been someone that was in whatever place they were when Jesus showed up. So those are the qualifications. So in these 120 people, they then had nominations. And there ended up being two nominees. One, Justice, the other, Matthias. So they have two names, two guys that were with them. And then they prayed. Did you catch the prayer? I love the prayer. You, oh God, know every one of us inside and out. Make plain which of these two men you choose to take the place in this ministry and leadership that Judas threw away in order to go his own way. God, we don't know. These two fit the qualifications. We nominate these two, but we don't know which one is best. So would you please... Show us which one you would appoint. And how did they do that? They cast lots. The message says drew straws, but they didn't draw straws. They, they really actually cast stones or twigs, and then they, and that, that's, how they, that's how they chose. So they made their selection based upon prayer, casting of lots, and Matthias is the guy that won, and he became one of the twelve. Now, we, I don't know, I don't know if, I don't really even know if that seems so important to us. Why did they have to have 12 again? I mean, why couldn't they just leave it at 11? Though, you know, as you go forward in the story, 12 is an important number. There's going to be 12 thrones, and there's these future ramifications. But, you know, kind of stepping out of history into life today, I, I think there's something that we can really learn from what's going on here. And it has to do with a leadership. It has to do with 
the election, that we're, we're in an election year. How, so how do we do it? So I just want to make a suggestion that, yeah, well, let's keep thinking and learning about what's happening in the church, but let's do something practical with what we just read. And so we are, in this election year, we're going to be replacing some leaders. So how are we going to do that? You know, the, the one, check, check, check out the qualifications of all the nominees. I posted this website. I don't know if you can see it. It's a blog, but it's called an, an Evangelical Voter Guide. You may find some other things that might help you, but I just thought this guy had some great suggestions. One of them is do your homework. There's really no excuse for laziness when it comes to being an informed voter, especially when we now have such a wealth of information online and through other viable sources of news about candidates. Do not use the cop-out of they're all just the same or no politicians are trustworthy or I don't have time for this. If you have time to enjoy the freedoms you have in this country, then you certainly have time to become an informed voter. But these, these people that we're learning from, they, they, were, they were informed about who was in their group. And so they then could nominate people that were candidates that would fulfill a position. We can do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. And then as Cindy said, we, we need to spend time praying. Oh, God. You know everybody inside out, and you know who would be the very best candidate. So we're going to cast lots. And in casting lots, we're going to believe that you just told us, you just guided us in our decision, and then we're going to go vote. One of, one of the things that... I have no, just noticed missing through these election years is that as people following Jesus, we don't spend enough time doing our homework. We don't spend enough time praying. And we don't really ask God to guide our vote. It works so well in the first century. I mean, it really worked. We're going we're gonna to read a story of they replaced a leader and they kept moving, and it, and it really worked out well. Right now, I mean, our nation is in desperate need of good leadership. We've been in need of good leaders for really quite a long time. I mean, we've had a crisis in leadership across the board, whether it's government, whether it's industry, whether it's the church. I mean, we've really had a crisis of leadership. And I truly believe the people sitting in this room are the answer for the restoration of good leadership. And it's because we can do things like this. So we have something to guide us in a process that is not just about the past, but it's very much about the present. So could we as a community, could we agree to encourage each other to do our homework, to really read, to really think, to really have conversation. 
And could we really be a community that really does invest time in prayer? I, I mean, I would really encourage our community groups during this fall as we're moving up to the election, I think it'd be a great thing for our community groups to be praying. Oh, God, give us direction. I think it's great to cast lots. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, I don't have a clue who I'm going to vote for. It just seems like we don't have anybody. Well, God knows. Do we trust God? We think through biblical history. I mean, God's put some really interesting people in positions of leadership over empires, hadn't he? Really an interesting story. And they've not all been really godly people, but they were God's choice for that time of history. That's really intriguing. Doesn't it intrigue you? The church... Those that are following Jesus are meant to be salt and light in our world. We are to be a people that make a difference in what's happening in our world today. We don't need a political system or a party to influence us. We need to influence that the opposite way around. We need to be citizens of heaven that influence our citizenry in the United States. We need to be citizens of heaven that then influence whatever political perspective you're drawn to. That's fine. But you represent Jesus with whatever that persuasion is, and you influence who that is and where that's going. It's always the kingdom of God moving out to change our world. And it's, it's happening through us. So may we be that kind of community who look at a story like this and think, well, that's, you know, that's an interesting precursor to what's about to happen next week. But from that, say, you know, God was in the mix there. God was choosing and replacing a leader there. And we can be that kind of community too. So can we stand together? Father, I want to thank you that you are the God of history. And I want to thank you just for, you know, taking me back early this morning to just remind me that you listen to the cries of your people. And right now, we, we are a people that are crying out. Some of that agony is directed towards you, others, others just, just directed wherever, whoever will listen to us, help, Lord, or help. We're in, we're, we're in trouble, Lord. And we, we are looking to you this morning as a community of people. We're looking to you and we're saying, help, Lord. You're the God who listens to the cries of your people. And you not only listen, but you come to the earth to help us. Lord, as we read this account from the beginning of our church history, Lord, we, we know that leaders are replaced as you direct. And so here we are crying out, Lord, help, Lord. 
help restore leadership to our community, to our nation, to our city, the state, wherever leaders are needed, Lord, help us. And so would you, O oh Lord, would you take us again and again to this passage? Would you remind us that you want to be involved in our selection? Lord, thank you for the time that we live in, that there's so much that we can read. But help us, Lord, give us wisdom on what, what is helpful and what is not. Help us to be a community that can encourage each other, Lord, to do our homework well. Lord, I would just, I would just invite you to give us a spirit of prayer. That as we go through these months leading up to a national election that I don't know, even know how many people are going to be elected. Lord, that we would be a people that would pray. That we would trust you, Lord. We would say, oh, Lord, we don't know, but you know everyone. And you know which leader would be best. So, Lord, help us to cry out to you for help. Then, Lord, teach us about the casting of lots. It just seems to make sense to me that you would encourage us even to do that, uh, individually or as a small group or a family. So, Lord, what I'm asking is that what we have read this morning could apply now to where we are in life. We want you to rule, Lord. We want you to bring your kingdom in a, in a new way through those that are leading us. So, Lord, here, here we are in great need of you. Jesus, we end our time just by thanking you for being such a great leader. Whenever we get discouraged, whether it's a leader in the church, whether it's a leader at school or work or wherever it might be, bring us back to who you are. Remind us that you're still leading <laughs> and we get to follow you. So we bless you today, Lord. And we give you thanks in your name. Amen. Thank you for our time. I look forward to hearing how we live this out. Amen. Amen.